Welcome to episode seven of the Pro Video Coalition podcast. I'm Damian Allen and I'm standing in for the legendary Scott Simmons, who unfortunately has more important things to do than he's us. Playing hockey, but... I actually think he's being a father or something very the out nerve. of uh, character for the industry. You know, actually... there, there, there actually is a, a holiday next week, guys. He could have waited till then. A holiday? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, I always say, if you're not going to show up to work on Thanksgiving, don't even bother showing up to work the day after Thanksgiving, right? Yes. Yeah. Which we are going to talk about Black Friday later, right? You promised? Yeah, we are. Okay, we go. are. We have some, uh, some secret ninja Black Friday deals we're going to talk about. Who do you have today? Who's here? That's a great question. Uh, who is here? We have... That rascal from Chicago. Gary Adcock, who is just... A legend of all things. You've actually, let, let's be honest, you spent way too much time in this industry. Am I right? I, I have, yeah. I've I, I played way too long. And before that, I was a still photographer. And, I, you know, I was an early beta tester for Photoshop back in the early days and all that kind of stuff. So and, uh, I am kind know, of the geeky person. Any of us that remember trying to twiddle the knobs to get your, uh, your bars to line up in your vector scope, you know, we've been in it too long. Um, and bars, then we and have, bars and tone. Bars and tone. And then we have Paul McKenna, who is uh, a legendary sound engineer. He, I, it's not even, uh, I'm not even quipping there. He really is uh, a bit of a legend in the industry. Uh, so he, he uh, has a, a great perspective in all things sound. And he also works with the Moviola team and deploying hardware uh, to editors who are cutting all the big shows in town. So he has a unique perspective there. And actually, I want to talk to him today a little bit about the whole idea of locking down your hardware and uh, and cutting edge versus bleeding edge. We'll dive into that a little bit. Um, but let's start out right away with uh, the kind of big new movie release, which was, uh, well, one of them, but Ford versus Ferrari. And uh, we, we actually did a podcast on that. It's on the site, Out of the Cut, with the editor. Uh, but, um, Gary, you had a couple of thoughts on this in general that probably weren't covered yeah. there. It was interesting to me because I, I actually watched the movie and then went and listened to the podcast, which I thought was a really great way to go. But I don't think people realize the developmental nature of how it, what all it takes to actually make a movie like that with the cars and the violence and, and the fact that, you know, all of the car to car scenes are actually shot in real moving vehicles. Most of it's shot in the Atlanta area and then modified to look like it was in other places. So they built the environment, the daytime, the nighttime and all of that um, in visual effects. So, the, so Ford versus Ferrari is, is, a, is a really great movie, but, but for Paul, part of it is the sound design. Oh yeah. And that was what impressed me the most about the movie was just the enabling power of getting those throaty 60s engines to, to actually make you feel like you were in one with the rumblers in the seats. I actually saw it in a, a Dolby cinema, um, a Dolby theatrical release here in Chicago. And it was amazing to me the quality of the sound production of that movie. Oh, it's amazing. The technology is finally catching up to what we can do. Uh, what we want to do, but that's the stuff that they were doing is a whole nother level. A yeah. lot of those sounds. Well, it is. A lot of those sounds. It, not only was it the with what you were seeing, but what they supplement it with is is what's really mind blowing. 
there's other noises. Well, and, other and, and when you get in the quality of a Dolby theater with you know Dolby's Atmos sound system and comment, and you when you combine that with the the picture quality uh, and the brightness and everything that you get in Dolby Cinema, how, it takes it to a whole other level. How would you and, and people just don't think about that? How would your experience? Have, how would your experience have been if you saw that first on a TV? Say a, a run of the mill TV, oh, no, not even. It wouldn't have been the same. It would have been, yeah. you know, the experience of, of of watching something like the French Connection on television, where you didn't you didn't get that immersive nature of the sound. Even I mean, the French Connection when they they're doing that that scenes or bullet is another one. Sure. The sound environment that the theater builds is so much more immersive than what most people have in their homes or even in headphones. And I don't think you'd get the same thing, but there was something about sitting and watching that and looking at the nuances of the skin and how it looked and how Christian Bale always looked kind of um, um, a little rougher than Matt Damon was and how the actors were portrayed in different lights in that, but just how they handled some of the situations. But, yeah. but it was the sound reinforcement that really, really caught me with that film. And I recommend people go see it. It was one of the best films I've seen this year. You know, it, it is interesting. I, I remember uh, just recently, like a week or two ago, uh, my 16-year-old daughter, I, I had this fond memory of an 80s movie. And uh, I, we, it was on one of the streaming services, and we watched it. And I couldn't believe, it was a, it was a reasonable budget film, just how bad the sound was. Like, there were people that weren't even mic'd, <laughs> that were being picked up by another mic. I mean, it was just the, the, the level of quality and the expectation we're at today compared with you know a couple of decades ago it's it is amazing i mean you you really cannot get away with your film sounding bad and expect people to 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 tr take it seriously yeah or or looking bad i mean the, with 4k 6k 8k yeah. the makeup people they got a tough job that's yeah, tough yeah I, I, I cut a piece for 60 Minutes once, and I still remember walking into the pre-production meeting, and, and you know I walked in behind the producer and the, the on-air talent, and I'm in the background listening. And the first thing Don Hewitt did was walk up and turn the television off. And he looked over at me, directly at me, and specifically, and said, if it's not good radio, it's bad television. Mm. And I will never, ever forget that. Yeah. That's, it, it's going to me forever. That's good. Mm. Hey, uh... Moving on to DigiPrime, uh, Brian Hallett did a nice article on this. Uh, Gary, you, you've got a couple of uh, thoughts on that one as well? Well, it's also a great segue because we're talking about old versus new, and, and DigiPrimes were the original um, cine-style lenses that were developed for the three-chip cameras as we went into the HD era, just so everybody kind of understands what they were. And they were designed, and, and notice I said three-chip cameras because all of the HD cameras of that period had multiple chips. CMOS right. hadn't been adopted yet. Yeah. And even HD cam, you know, the original Vera cams, all of those cameras all had still had, you know, charge couple devices in. Yeah. And the DigiPrimes were built to overcome some of the issues related to that. Brian's article was really good. I was actually read it yesterday. I hadn't had a chance to get to it. But I read it yesterday and was just fascinated by it. As somebody who worked with those lenses in the early days of HD, they were incredibly powerful. And the sharpness that he points out in those lenses for working with a two-third gen sensor I mean, come on, we're two-thirds inch. That's actually smaller than micro four-thirds. We're taking a really tiny sensor here. Yeah, but it was yeah. really interesting to see um, the the somebody actually go into to the depth of, of lenses that are no longer going to be available as we keep going into this larger and larger format world. And, and I think that brings up an interesting point on the obsolescence of gear. And, and it reminds me of why Super 35 has lasted so long. 
Um, you know, it's been a format that's been acceptable in filmmaking since 35 millimeter film was accepted as the standard, you know, probably about the 1930s or so. Um, and, and it's really, really interesting for that, that, that we've gotten to a situation where people keep looking at old glass as something new. And, yeah. And well, I, I've worked we, with a lot of, uh, on, on a lot of high-end features where, especially the anamorphic glass, um, a lot of the directors will use really, really old lenses that actually have horrible chromatic aberration. And, and I'm having to do 3D track match moves with this footage, <laughs> but they love it. They just love the look of this, of this old stuff. Yeah, and uh, even you know, twenty-four frames per second is just a—it's a lousy frame rate. It's barely what we need for persistence of vision. But now we have this sort of larger-than-life, dreamy sort of association with it, and it's hard to kick. You know, I I know there was a lot of talk about forty-eight frames per second and the young kids coming up playing video games at high frame rates, but it still seems to be a fascination with twenty-four frames per second. Well, don't you think that goes back to the golden age of Hollywood? I mean, anamorphics and all of that, just sure. for yeah. people who are not understanding what anamorphics are. Is anamorphics were designed um, by Panavision as part. I, in I part actually of dated her concert. in college, but yeah. Anna. But sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and they were developed to be able to get more out of a film frame, which was a four by three shape. So they actually, yeah. you know, put optics on the front that spread the image out, and then you put the optic in a ninety degree. Uh, orientation from where it was shot at to project it back out. Um, you know, so you, you had an issue with this, and it actually this optical compression of that was mimicked in the early days of HD. And we don't think about how this widescreen aspect and that distortion actually has really defined filmmaking for the current generation of filmmakers who came up after, you know, with the hits of the 50s that did all of this. We're talking about Ben-Hur and The Robe and, and you know, A Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and a lot of the films that came out in that period, that Lawrence of Arabia, that were shot in this magnificently wide formats. Yeah. And it was done to save film costs. Yeah, <laughs> But it's a very unique image. And that, that look of anamorphics, which is, just so everybody understands, a 50-millimeter lens has the characteristics of a 50-millimeter lens, but a 50-millimeter spherical lens shoots in normal 50 degree range a 50 degree 50 millimeter anamorphic lens has the the panoramic look of a 25 it's twice as wide as it is tall and that's a real distorting look but it's also part of what's defined us as the visual look of filmmaking you know the out of focus bokeh and 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 the shallow depth of field that we've become to imagine now with large sensors was originally done with these optics in super 35 in the early days yeah so, gary yeah. gary in your early career did you ever think a network would dictate what cameras you could use what spec i mean everybody had deliverables back then but but did you ever think they'd say these cameras are acceptable these lenses are acceptable these editing formats are acceptable it it, it, it was interesting in the early days that they wanted you to work on a camera that gave it to you. And they were incredibly expensive. I mean, yeah. you know, a, a beta cam was $80,000. Well, that's what I, I was just thinking with you talking about Vericams. I remember we, we bought one, I think it was like 80 or 90 grand. And I, it makes me cry when I think about what I could buy for that now, you know? Mm. Yeah. You can get that on your phone yeah. you know, for a thousand bucks. You can do all the stuff that the Vericam did and more on your phone for under a thousand. So, yeah. And 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 the Vericam was an interesting one because you had to buy the separate frame rate converter in the early days. Yeah, <laughs> you wanted to do the variable speed or the high speed stuff. You had to buy a frame rate converter to be able to convert the files. And people don't think about those kinds of things. Yeah. 
and 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 you know it's it's much like the digi primes this this has taken us this given us this look and feel of of older glass and older looks but also reminds us of what defines how we work now and i find it really interesting you know we, speaking, as we keep going uh, forward go ahead yeah speaking of old to new uh Photoshop and the iPad. We talked about this, I think, a couple of shows ago. Uh, it was released, and really to a lot of negative review because it uh, lacked a lot of the features that uh, the real Photoshop—I call it the real Photoshop—on the Windows and Mac platform had. And uh, we just got an announcement, uh, a blog posting today, actually by Adobe, that they've actually revealed a roadmap for what's coming out and when, because obviously they recognize they had to do some damage control, I'm guessing. And so they've listed what they've already added, what's coming in 2019, and uh, what's planned for 2020. And I, I got to tell you what's interesting to me here is, is I have not played with uh, Photoshop and iPad, but I'm actually a little surprised looking at this list of what isn't coming until the first half of 2020 what wasn't already in there. So Refine Edge, which is now a staple of Photoshop, uh, wasn't in there and is still to come. This one floors me, brush sensitivity. So here yeah. we, the whole point of an iPad with a pencil <laughs> is that you have pressure sensitivity. And they're telling me, I'm looking at this list and that's not even included. So I can understand why people had the reaction they did. I mean, that's a pretty big... Uh, curves and adjustment layers weren't in there. Uh, Lightroom integration, you could argue that's not a huge deal. But, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's an interesting, it was an interesting decision for them to go ahead and, and release that without some of those fairly fundamental pieces in there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it reminds me a little bit of when uh, Apple came out with Final Cut Pro Ten and said, hey, we've got something that has <laughs> only know. half of what you've been using to date, but you can download the, other, the old thing as well and maybe that will work out for you. And well, they, they, that in, wasn't even the message when they announced eight, it. And in eight years, it'll catch up to where yeah, it was. exactly. So. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing the first time somebody tries to open a gigabyte file on their iPad and it takes four days for it to open. Yeah, and yeah, seven exactly. days save. Yeah, you know, because you, know, you know that's going to happen. You're going to yeah. open a file, and I'm one of those guys who has quite large Photoshop files. When I did work for um, uh, Godzilla with Matthew Broderick back in in 2000, 1999, um, my Photoshop files had you know a thousand layers in them when you was barely when that was about yeah. the limit of what you could do in Photoshop. I can't imagine what some of these well, even have even tried. large print documents. I still have large print documents that uh, you, you actually have to use the large format. It's a different Photoshop format. Even on a you know 128 gig machine, it won't let you save unless you save to the uh, large Photoshop format. So there are still definitely uh, memory issues, oh, and I, I'm sure on a on an iPad that's going to be a problem. Well, and, and, and you know, and somebody's going to do that on on an older device. Now, I'm I've been a Photoshop guy since the beginning. I've tried all of the other ones, and I stick with Photoshop because I know yeah, it intimately. You really can't. But that doesn't mean yeah. it's the best thing in the world. Well, but it's also <laughs> such an industry standard. It, it you know you can argue that you can go with some of those affinity tools, and those are great if you're a small shop and you can keep to yourself. But if you want to play with others in the industry, it's it, it, you really can't avoid the uh, it, certainly Photoshop, if not the entire Adobe suite. You know. So, hey, as, as much as we hate it, yeah, we it's the yeah, entire Adobe suite. Exactly, yeah. So moving, uh, moving along, a couple of other things. Rico unveils uh, the Theta 
SC2 360-degree camera. The thing that's most noticeable to me about this one is that they're still out making 360 when the market has definitely cooled down pretty precipitously. Um, look, I, I d actually developed for VR. I love VR. I love the idea of it. But I'm the first one to say it's if, at a consumer level, it's a very tough market to have any kind of audience for your content. So it's interesting that, that yeah, these yeah. guys are kind of sticking it out and uh, coming out with new cameras. It, it is. And I actually had one of the earlier models and liked it a lot. And and you say that, but I actually worked on a project in Chicago over Halloween. We, we worked on the 30th and 31st, um, shooting piece for the Chicago Police Department on, on uh, um, human interaction and did the VR environment with some a bunch of people in Chicago to work on that. And it was, so there's still applications for it. Oh yeah. And I think that as we, as we move forward with uh, 5G and simply 2110 spec and how we're going to start delivering video separate from audio and the ancillary metadata, I think VR is going to come back in the AR world more so. Yeah, I think, and, and it's, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think we, we've really got a good 10 years uh, till the hardware gets to the right size where people are willing to wear it for long periods on their face. And like you say, when the bandwidth is at the point where we can actually push this stuff to people. But, uh, you know, good good for Rico. See, but the for, thing is, uh, we're wearing goggles right now. But think about it, we're wearing goggles right now. I'm, I'm waiting for Apple's AR glasses, which are driven from the phone. So they could be light enough to wear on my face, which I wear glasses every day. Um, they're required for me to see. Um, I want something that's going to mesh with those and be driven by the device I have in my pocket and carry with me. And yeah, I no, think that I, that's going to be a big change. I certainly think, yeah. I mean, for for glass glasses-wearing people, that's uh, definitely going to be an interesting. When, when that becomes indistinguishable from a regular pair of glasses, and, and that's definitely on its way. Um, I, I got a chance to play with the new HoloLens uh, at SIGGRAPH this year, the HoloLens 2 from Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I was very underwhelmed with that because the vertical field of view was so narrow, it really kind of broke the whole augmented uh, feel. But, uh, you know, there's, they're, they're getting there. It's, uh, you know, we'll see how we go. But uh, good, good for Rico for, <laughs> for keeping up. Um, I mean, yeah. it's interesting. I, I'm guessing it means they consider it profitable enough that uh, it was worth releasing another model. Um, so that's good. It uh, was one of the number one consumer models and followed by the GoPro, GoPro, GoPro Fusion. Um, I actually like those, I actually like those sort of cameras. I have the, the Kodak one. Um, I like them for shooting high dynamic range stills for visual effects reference um, because, you know, you can actually shoot multiple exposures and uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, so I have a niche use for those, uh, not necessarily for actually shooting 360 video, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, massive Android exploit. Last kind of big piece of news. Uh, let's hackers control your camera. And uh, fortunately, it's already been patched. So if you actually keep your computer up, to, uh, your phone up to date, I should say. Uh, and the other thing is that it's, you know, it's a little bit of clickbait news because I'm pretty sure you actually have to install an app that takes advantage of the exploit so you, it doesn't just well, but, there, but the thing is there was a number of apps that already did take care of the ex uh, did exploit it oh really and so and we were all being spied on is, is that android users don't keep their phones as updated as apple users do that's true so iphone users ios users tend to be more on the upgrade bandwagon 
for automated purposes because they forget to turn that off. But Android users don't necessarily do that. So it's it's interesting. Most of the people I know with Android phones don't update them. Because I don't update my ironically, Android phone they're more as much savvy. as I update my iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's definitely true. So, uh, you know, interesting, that, that actually brings up a whole uh, topic of conversation, which is, uh, you know, at, at what point is it necessary and important for us to not only upgrade software, but, but also hardware? And now, Paul, this is your battleground, right? Because you live in a world where you have clients that have two competing goals. They, they want the latest and greatest cool stuff, and they, they're the buying into the hype from Apple when they have their cool press releases, but they also need to get work done. Yeah, they need to hit their deadlines, which is, there are two things that are completely opposed, 180 degrees. Do you want to be bleeding edge? Do you want to be cutting edge? And, or do you want to just stay in the safest possible thing? I, for me, it always works. If there's a feature that's so good that you can't live without, like when in uh, Pro Tools or even um, Media Composer, when ClipGain was announced or uh, offline rendering and stuff like that, where it just changes how you work and how much time it takes to do your thing, um, that's worth changing for. But I know in the Pro Tools world, we didn't change from 10 way too long, but then they started putting in features that you really needed, so we had to make that jump. But imagine if you're trying to make these decisions for three or four hundred machines. Wow. And how much do you commit to it? If you're bleeding edge, we'd be buying 400 of these new uh, Mac Pros, spending how much a piece if we... Well, that would probably be a multi-multi-million <laughs> dollar investment at that point. Multi-multi-million, yes. Yeah, yeah. But what do you... Because I think if we put them the way we need them, I, I think like 35,000 I think with the monitor and the, and the what, $1,000 stand? The $1,000 stand. You're looking yeah. at like 35 to 45 of the estimates. Well, and also, so. you don't need... Fully configured, yeah. yeah. Who, what editor works with one monitor? Yeah. You, we need three of these, at least two, <laughs> and then something better. So, if well, that's what that's you have gonna, to that, do, that, that's three hundred bucks worth of cables. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Yeah. So what do you do? You know, in, in our situation, we're not going to jump in and buy four hundred of these the first week. Yeah. We need to make sure they work. We need to make sure they all the programs we run on them are solid and and they can be relied on. Uh, the last thing you want is a phone call in the middle of the night. Everything's gone. We don't know where it went, and it's just not working. Yeah. So we'll probably buy a, buy a bunch, not a, you know ten or twenty, and then leak them out to our VFX editors who need them the most, and see if we get people happy. You, you just never know. It's it's a tough tough call. Yeah. Gary, what about um, you? When do you update? What do you need to see to to update uh, something? See, I'm 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 the I'm the anti every guy. I I I scream on the front of it. The guy behind me is bleeding from bleeding edge. Um, I got gotcha. I tend to stay far enough out. I stay out far enough out in front that it, it's it's you know the pressure wave is behind me and everybody. The guy behind me is covered in blood. But, but do you really um, want to be the beta tester for everything you have? I guess you do. Um. I, I'm about 70% of the stuff I use, I'm, I beta test. So I'm, I put up with the crashes and the torment and, and the failures and the frustration um, a lot. Um, 
To me, if you're the one waiting for traffic to go by, you're the person that's caught in the middle of six lanes of traffic going in opposite directions and you're stuck there because there's not a break and you have to, you know, weather it out for hours or days on end until there's a break in the traffic. Whereas, you know, if you're the guy like me, it's everyone else behind you that's covered in mud. So Um, I I hope you don't have a revolver in your glove box because the road rage scares me already. (laughs) listening to Yeah. <laughs> That's why I was stumbling around last week. I actually got a new car last last week when I recorded this darn oh. thing. <laughs> I, li- I literally picked up a new car and walked into the room and dropped down so, the podcast so t- last week. Wow. <laughs> so tell me, Gary, because you, you you obviously deal with you know client purchasing gear and stuff. How how do you balance your cutting edgeness with the need to actually make sure that your yeah. clients don't freak out? Yeah, not not saying it's for your system, but if you were to sell, right. the, if you were to rent these or sell these to people, what do you feel comfortable with at this point? I, I always remind people that buying the top of the line is probably the most expensive thing you can do, and if you go back, take a step back from the highest level, yeah. you're getting seventy five to ninety percent of the performance at sixty percent of the cost. Yes. Um, and I always look at that kind of thing too. It's, it's, you know, which do you need? Do you need more cores or do you need more RAM? Um, you know, do you need more storage or do you need that storage farther away? You have to make compromises with gear always. And, and that's one of the things that, that people don't seem to think about when they're working on their own, you know, their own facility and their own work. What is really the best for what I do? Um, I mean, I have hundreds of terabytes storage on my desk type and petabytes of storage online in my office and people don't understand that, that that's not for everybody <laughs> and no. i mean not everybody needs 200 terabytes of you know thunderbolt 3 at you know two gigs a second on their desktop they don't well in my world they do <laughs> yeah i was gonna say I not think pretty much they do <laughs> you know what they're it, starting to it's like formats it's interesting you say that though because you know i i'm a vfx guy and we, we're dealing with a single frame most of the time. And so these days, it's interesting. I found that right around 2010, um, workstations that were coming out then, that's when Moore's Law kind of broke down and everything kind of moved to the graphics card, right? So I've found that even today, although it's probably starting to creak, I could have a 2010 machine with the latest graphics card in it and it would still be pretty good for a lot of what I need to get done. Uh, in fact, I uh, I have a, a monster Windows uh, laptop that has a GTX 1080 in it. And uh, I do a lot of production work on that. But I I was missing having a Mac. I, I picked up a 2013 MacBook Pro for uh, 350 bucks. Uh, and I'm surprised by how capable that six-year-old machine is. I put Catalina on it. And uh, you know what? It, it's a little disturbing sometimes how much technology we throw away just because there's something new, when when I, I'm actually finding that thing, uh, I could, you know, get a lot of work done on it. It 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 is definitely interesting the obsession we have with needing to have the baddest, biggest, greatest new thing, when really just to get the job done and be efficient. A lot of the time, it's 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 several orders of magnitude back from that. We just don't like to think it is. Oh yeah. Oh no. Oh, and I agree about you. I've got I've got you know. Uh, a Dell and an HP Thunderbolt three laptops. One's got 64 gigs of RAM. The other one's got 120 gigs of RAM and they're, they're monsters. But I mean, it's like the, the Lenovo I have, I mean, I can watch the power draw on it. 
it draws so much power across the bus. Yeah. Um, but my Mac, my older Mac, my wife is on my 2013 Thunderbolt 2 laptop. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's amazing? I put a new battery in it, and it's getting like 11, 12 hours of battery life. Whereas my my main workstation laptop, I'm lucky if if it lasts two to three hours. You know, yeah, but that's the massive. size of a surfboard. That it thing. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's portable in the way a dorm room refrigerator is portable. That's that's uh, it's luggable. Yeah, lug, lug. yeah, yeah. As long as you have a two wheeler or a dolly, I, it, it saves me from a gym membership because it is my workout when I carry that to the car. So, but uh, yeah, I live in a third floor walk up. You'd get even more exercise then. Yeah, no kidding. It's it's. I mean, hey, uh, th- you know, it, it. You have to if you want a, an actual desktop replacement, you kind of don't have many options. Just heat management requires that sort of size. But uh, you the know. other thing I have an issue with my on oh, my Windows laptop is is that when I've got it plugged in and everything powered up on it and stuff on the Thunderbolt buses, um, it's it's it has a real hard time keeping up, keeping the charge up, and and that's an issue huh. with with a couple of lap PC laptops I've had is, is that when I get them working and they're plugged in, there's not enough power over the uh, coming across the, the, the power supply to maintain the battery. Interesting. Do you, do you have the, uh, it's funny cause I've got an Alienware, which, you know, technically you're not supposed to do because it's, you know, a gaming laptop, but it actually turned out to be the best oh, no. spec I could find, but oh, it has terrific for that. Yeah. yeah. It has a massive, uh, power supply pack it's it's almost it weighs almost as much as the computer itself but uh see and that's that's the that that was alienware being smart because they knew what they were going to need for gaming right and yeah. and what they're doing they're supporting you know, the higher frame rates and gpu processing whereas on the windows side that i have and you know, i have a lenovo that's a really nice laptop but but the 120 watt power supply that came with it doesn't isn't made to drive it for the kind of things i'm running through it yeah with the stuff i have yeah, that's that is. I mean, it definitely is a great laptop. In fact, the only the reason I had to go with it instead of going with a Mac is unfortunately I needed the CUDA support, and that's that's one of the things that really kind of bums me out about where Apple's at right now with their graphics cards. It's just the complete. I mean, so much of the world lives off of CUDA uh, in terms of the artificial intelligence stuff, three uh, D rendering support, and I mean that, that may be changing with metal adoption, but. Uh, it's still a, a tough. I, you know, maybe you can argue it's the same thing as when Steve Jobs killed Flash by deciding not to support Flash. Uh, maybe we're going to see a, a change in the environment, but I don't know. CUDA is still a very yeah, popular job, API. Job, yeah, Jobs killed Flash. Jobs killed Flash, but there's so many things out there that still require it. I mean, I yeah. can't log on through Safari on, on. I'm on Xfinity. I can't log in on the Comcast website without Flash on my. On my bra- in my browser. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I'm I'm stuck with it. So. I'm a thousand percent Mac. Yeah, well, that's and, good for you, and and I, I feel really good about it. I've never I've never given up my Mac, Paul. I've never given it up, and you should. Love it. You should fight for it. But you know, wouldn't you agree? I I think you're a little bit in my camp, Gary, or if not the same. Where Windows 10 doesn't suck. Uh, you know, I was. I was kind of forced back to it, and it's not horrible anymore. Um, no, it's not. <clears throat> but so, it's but it's not a Mac. It's not a Mac. Well, it, and it's not a Mac because, and it, you know, it's the stupid things. It's the key commands are different. It's 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 there's a Windows power key that you're forever hitting. If you know the first thing you first mistake you make going from Windows to a Mac is the Windows key, 
And it's like you hit it all the time on the keyboard when you're going back and forth because it's like, why, am I, why, why is this taking me into, into settings? I don't want to be there. And then realize that it's actually a function yeah. of the keyboard. And yeah, although I, I miss it now when I go back to the Mac because it's like, oh, I can have quick access to, you know, it's, it's faster than command space a little bit. Uh, the other thing that I really miss when I'm on a Mac now is just the ability to be in a file browser modally inside a, an application and be able to copy and paste files around. And, you know, they're, they're, it's just interesting. Both applications have their strengths, uh, both OSs. I think Macintosh is always a warm, fuzzier place to be, OS X. But I agree. You know, we should. Yeah, you uh, can do all of that in Linux. You can do all of that in line command. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We should wrap one one thing I do want to cover off real quick uh, for those of you who are interested is Black Friday is coming up. Ooh. And actually, it's a pretty impressive lineup. Uh, Aperture, the 300D has had a price drop to $799. GoPro Heroes, uh, there's a couple of film tools exclusives here GoPro Hero 7 with a free SD card, uh, Zoom H5 with free memory card. Small HD has as much as $1,000 off its stuff. DJI, 40% 40, 40 off store-wide for their drones and their, um, their other uh, gyro kind of uh, camera support stuff. Stocking stuffers. FX Home, which is always a curiosity to me, FX Home. They've got 40% 40, 40 off everything. I'm just impressive that they're, you know, they've carved out a market in the, in the, the world of After Effects. Um, and one, one other really big one, if you, if you want to time your Adobe subscription, right now is the time to buy because it it's going to be $29.99 a month uh, for the year if you buy at Black Friday, and that should mean it runs out just in time for next Black Friday. So <laughs> uh, this would be a good time if you're on the fence about doing an Adobe subscription. Uh, any, any, do you guys have anything else that I should be adding to that list? Uh, one, thing that, one thing to note on the Adobe subscription, <laughs> if you buy it and pay for it in advance... You can just extend your current one if you haven't. If you're not quite to that point yet, right. you can actually buy it and pay for the whole year in advance, and then it'll just tack on to your existing subscription now. Oh, that's and that's good. An actually an interesting way to go because yeah. I actually buy it in one one purchase rather than spacing it out over the year because of the way my accounting is done. So I buy it once a year, and uh, I find that the, I buy the sales and then apply the code. Works right great. All right, uh, I think that's pretty much all we have time for. Uh, Check out filmtools.com. They actually have uh, a full page on Black Friday. So definitely worth checking out uh, for all your film gear. And until next time, uh, I don't know what happens. Well, have, everybody have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. And yep. we'll be back probably the week after. With more exciting banter. We promised you that it wouldn't be. <laughs> that it would be a... Almost every week. So it looks like Thanksgiving might be the time I, to take I a I think we might just be sitting there with pause. some turkey. Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah, I think we'll all be taking a nap then. So. And I'm sure we'll have Scott Simmons back uh, next oh, yeah. time at the helm. See you guys later. Bye-bye.